Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Here's this week's message. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. It's talking about the, referring to Moses uh, and the serpent in the wilderness when he lifted up the bronze serpent. So John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God." the word of God for us today. So when you hear the words, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, you know it's come from the Gospel of John. Only John uses such metaphorical yet cryptic language, and only John relies so heavily on the image of eternal life. He uses the phrase 17 times, half as many as in the whole of the New Testament. So what's it mean? That's the question. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. To understand this passage, we need to go back to the Old Testament in the story of Moses and the bronze serpent. So after wandering months, maybe years in the desert, the people of Israel had had enough. They were half-starved and exhausted, and there was little promise to the land that lay before them. Promised land, ha! Almost all had buried loved ones along the way, including Moses, whose sister Miriam died in the wilderness of Zin, and his brother Aaron, who died on Mount Hor. Now they were out of water. They had every right to complain and beg Moses, take us Back to Egypt, they said. Would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. As he had done so many times before, Moses went into the tent, fell on his face before the Lord, and prayed for God's mercy. And as always, God answered his prayer and gave the people of Israel what they needed to continue on their journey. He commanded Moses to strike the rock with his rod, and water gushed forth. So the people drank to their heart's content and watered their animals as well. But they couldn't take much water with them, and what they did take soon ran out. Again, the people became impatient. They said, 
Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable manna from heaven. This time, instead of giving them a blessing, God sent a curse. All of a sudden, the people looked around them, and they were snakes everywhere. Not just a garden variety snakes that you can pick up and play with if you want. These were poisonous snakes that if they bit you, you'd surely die. And that's exactly what happened. The snakes began biting the people, men, women, and children, so that there were dead Israelites palling up everywhere. So the people of Israel cried to Moses again, Make them stop! We confess we have sinned! Pray to God to take them away! So Moses prayed to God, and God told Moses to fashion a fiery serpent out of bronze and put it up on a pole and hold it up for the people to see so that everyone who was bitten by a snake, if they looked up at a certain serpent, would not die. And so once more God showed mercy on his stubborn people and saved them from their sinful, rebellious ways. And to do this, the people of Israel remembered the story of Moses and the bronze serpent, and they reminded of God's saving grace. All right, let's fast forward now a couple thousand years. A devout Jew named Nicodemus came to Jesus under the cloak of darkness in search of the meaning of life. And Jesus said to him, Unless you are born anew, you can never see the kingdom of God. Of course, Nicodemus had no idea what that meant. So he asked, How can someone be born when he is old? And Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. But still Nicodemus didn't get it. And so Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now it's clear. By dying on the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sins. By rising from the dead, he opened the door to eternal life. Trust in the power of his death and resurrection, and you will experience for yourself the very kingdom of God. Look up to the crucified and risen Christ, and you will be saved. Sounds simple enough, and it is. Allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, and you'll be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's just one catch, though. When God saved the people of Israel from the fiery serpent, they held on to that bronze serpent long after all the snakes had slithered away. In fact, they held on to it long after Moses had died, long after Joshua led them into the Promised Land, and long after Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. They held on to it and wouldn't let it go. And in time, it became an object of worship, a symbol of idolatry. If we look at 2 Kings, when Hezekiah comes along, Scripture says, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places, broke down the pillars, and cut down the sacred pool. 
he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. So until the leadership of Hezekiah, Judah once more regained, or under the leadership of Hezekiah, Judah once more regained its strength and served as a beacon of light to the other nations. Well, here's the connection we need to make today. If we're not careful, Jesus can become an icon rather than the guiding force of our lives. To put it another way, it's altogether possible to pay lip service to Jesus, then go on your merry way as if who he is and what he commands you to be is irrelevant to everyday life. There's a story about a new minister who was making the rounds, visiting his parishioners in their homes. And one family had a four-year-old daughter. And she was so impressed to have the new minister come to her house that she wanted to do everything possible to impress him. With her mother's help, she served him cookies and lemonade. She showed him her room. Then she asked, Would you like to see Jesus? He said, Why, of course. She ran to her closet, climbed up on a chair, and got a little ceramic figure of Jesus and brought it for him to see. That's beautiful, he said. Thank you for showing it to me. You're welcome, she replied. Now I've got to go and put Jesus back on the shelf where he belongs. As Christians, we're called to live by a higher moral and ethical standard than the world around us. We get our ethics and morals from the Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule, the Love Commandment, the teaching of Jesus, the letter of Paul, the entire Bible. How would you rate your behaviors? How does the way you live out your life reflect your values and beliefs? More importantly, how does the way you live out your life reflect the witness of Scripture and your relationship to Jesus Christ? The truth is, what you believe when you say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life is best seen not by your words but by your actions. True faith is what that which reflects the Spirit of Christ living within you. Well, this is what I hope you'll take home with you today. Anyone can build a huge statue and hang a picture of Jesus and nod reverently every time they pass by, but that's not enough. Jesus Christ is no bronze statue, no bronze serpent on a pole. He's the crucified and risen Lord, and he calls us to live in relationship with him day by day. To lift high the cross of Jesus is to walk in his footsteps. Serve others in his name and glorify him as Lord of all creation. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for loving this world. Love us so much that you gave your son to pay the ultimate sacrifice for us. Help us to live for you, serving with our words and actions with a humble heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.